listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy, Australia's number one weekly podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies, here to bring an independent voice to truckies right around Australia. On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. And Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. Go to www.qr.com.au. G'day and welcome to another monster show with episode 95 of On The Road. TWU National Secretary Michael Caine is back to talk about the gig economy and the outlook for the transport industry after the election. Exciting new Aussie songstress Hunter Kane joins us for a chat and to introduce us to her brand new single, Mind of Its Own. We've got all the latest from the On The Road newsroom, some side-splitting comedy from Tim Hawkins who sings about the things you don't say to your wife, Mike has always finds some inconvenient truths in our Something To Talk About segment, and we close out the show with another great song from our music guest Hunter Kane. So as we edge ever closer to our 100th episode celebrations... Let's get this show on the road! Yes, get over there! G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers, and when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road, but when we're on the road, we're listening to the big rigs on the road. <laughs> this is Simon Smith here from the Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. Truck and radio is what we do across Australia 24-7. Loads of truck and classics every hour. If you'd like to drop us a line, love to hear from you at some stage. Our email address, bigrigradio at yahoo.com.au. Catch it down the road and take it steady out there. The Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. Well, I have got a bit of a treat for everyone today. We're not going to have any boxing ring music or anything today because we've already shown that we can play nicely with each other. Michael Kane, the National Secretary of the Transport Workers Union, is back on the show with us and we're going to talk about some interesting stuff from the point of view of the gig economy and a couple of other topics that may come up throughout the show. Michael, welcome back. Hi, g'day, Mike. Great to be here. It's a bit of a new world since last time we spoke. The question, I suppose, is what difference can we make now? Well, it is a new world. Our friends, the Labor Party, have managed to sweep back into power, and I do mean that in the literal sense. It was a bit of a landslide for them as far as the number of seats went, certainly not the way the vote went. I'm happy to see that they got a majority and they don't have to negotiate with some of the more radical aspects of the parliamentary system, let me say. Yeah, absolutely. And I reckon the good thing too is that the way the Senate fell out means that there's a better balance there's still not a majority. I think when people say it's dangerous for one party to have the balance of power in both houses, well, we saw what happened when John Howard had it in 2004. He lost the very next election because he, he misused the power. So what we've got is we've got the Labor Party with a clear majority in the lower house and not a majority in the upper house in the Senate, but the capacity to negotiate with one more crossbencher to get a vote through. Once we get these ideas up, I know we're going to speak a little bit about that, Mike. I hope we are anyway. Yeah, yeah. But once we get some of these ideas up about the change we absolutely need, and of course, with the fuel crisis upon us, it's really important to look to the future, not just the present crisis, but how are we going to deal with it in the future? 
we really do have the opportunity to actually get some stuff done mm. and get some legislative standard making capacity in place so that we can stabilize the industry and stabilize small businesses in the industry. So yeah, it is a new world. We were kind of theorizing it last time around. Now we've got it. And the question is, let's make sure we all work together and use it properly. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? There is an opportunity. And I did say before the election that I'd considered that the Labor platform from a transport point of view was the way to go. I said it on this show and I wrote it and said it in big rigs. And I've been called an industrial lefty now, Michael. (laughs) Well, you know what? I know. I think we were having a chat just before we came on air. Hmm. When you want to try and get change in this industry, and I know there's many of your listeners out there who feel the same way, you've got to have a bit of a thick skin. Yeah. You've got to throw the ideas out there, the ideas that you think are right and that can make a difference, and then test them with people, modify them when the ideas come in. But also, you've got to have a thick skin. I mean, you can be called industrial lefty, but at the end of the day, if the changes that are made make a difference to the industry, we well, can call us whatever you like, really. <laughs> but, mate, I feel exactly the same way. I- You'll never get me to agree to some of the social reforms that the more radical side of politics want to go to. But as far as I'm concerned, mate, anyone that can't see the relationship between the rates we're getting paid and on-road outcomes, maintenance, safety and lives lost, if people can't see that relationship between those things, then really they're living under a rock. And I've said that and I'll keep saying it. Things that are happening on the road are a direct result of the pressure that people are under to try and do a job. It's just not right. It's not a fair go, and that's what we're all about. It's about a fair go for everyone. Yeah, that's right, and those pressures, of course, are getting worse for a variety of reasons because we don't have stabilisers in the industry, and we Mm. do need some legislative stabilisers, but also because, and I know this is one of the reasons you wanted a bit of a chat today, also because the gig economy has started to come right into the heart of medium to heavy freight. Yeah. So we've got to be facing that, and we've got to be facing it now before it's too late. Well, we use this term, the gig economy, and one of the things that prompted me to really want to have the conversation with you about the so-called gig economy, there are people my age that don't know what the actual term means, and we think of a gig as being a bunch of musicians down the pub on a Saturday night for 200 bucks and a few cold beers, you know? That's not what we're talking about, though, is it? What is it, Michael? What's the gig economy? Well, the best way to think about it is this. People might be familiar with the passage of road up from the quay in Sydney used to be called the Hungry Mile back at the end of the Depression, Mm. where people were craving for work. Individuals were craving work. What they used to do is they used to line up along the Hungry Mile, Mm. literally impoverished at the end of the Depression. And the bosses would go along and they'd say, okay, I'll have you today for two hours. I'll have you today for five hours. I'll have you today for... And you might get a job and you might not get a job and the job might not pay very well and it might be for one hour, it might be for eight hours. It basically was a gig at the behest of someone with much more power. And the gig economy is a bit like that. In fact, it's a lot like that. It's the same work that we've done from time immemorial, taking something from A to B in transport, Mm. but it's done via new technology. So instead of having an employer or a hirer who's giving out the work, the worker is connected directly with the work through technology, through an app, and they access the work through an app on an ad hoc basis, and the lowest price wins. We've seen a little bit of that in the platforms in general freight, but never really on a full-on individual basis. And that's what's happening in rideshare. That's what happened in rideshare when it came in in 2011. That's what happened in food delivery when it came in in 2015. And that's what's happening now in the middle of freight, first of all, starting in parcel freight with Amazon Flex, and now moving into the heart of general freight with Uber Freight and its clones. 
So it's really interesting dynamic and it's a very, very threatening one because it threatens to pull the rug out from underneath all of us unless we put some standards in place to hold those gig beamers to account. Yeah, well, I think owner-drivers really have always been, and I'm talking about long-distance truck driver owner-drivers now when I talk about this, they've always been probably the original gig economy in transport, obviously not connected with the technology the way we were, but through loading agents, and now we've got the internet platforms like LoadShift and things like that. Once again, there it seems as though there's more of a competition there, and I think that that's driving rates down. It's been counterproductive to what we're doing. And what you're saying or what I'm seeing is the Amazon flex and all that sort of thing that you mentioned, that's the, that's the tip of the spear really now, isn't it? Well, it is. I mean, if you think about the Amazon flex, what is that? Well, it's these big Amazon warehouses around the country. This is in parcel freight, but everyone can see how this can easily translate into general freight. Yep. And in parcel freight, they've got these big warehouses, right? They've got a couple in Sydney, a couple in Melbourne, Brisbane. And they're massive. Some people may, may be aware of this, but they've got like four lanes through the middle of them. And what they do is they have an Amazon Flex app and you go onto the app and you tick all the conditions like you do for any other service on the internet. Yep. You say, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. You take your family vehicle, no safety certification or anything like that. Yeah. No necessity to say you're an experienced driver or you've done work in transport. You drive into the warehouse they fill your car with boxes too. You can't see out of the mirrors. We've got footage of it. Yep. And they send you off and they pay you for a block of time. And if it takes you twice the block of time, well, too bad, so sad. Yeah. And of course, that means that you've all of a sudden got this massive downward pressure on standards and price in the parcel sector. And it's the same dynamic that's coming for the middle of heavy freight. So we have got to use this political opportunity now with the Labor government in place and what they said before the election, hold them to account and make sure that we get a system in place which can put a stabiliser. We need a stabiliser in place. These guys have got to face the same standards that we face, and we've got to get an upward spiral of price going because any owner-driver out there, any small fleet operator out there knows that margins on any particular trip are either very slim and many of them are below cost recovery. Yep. We've got to address that, and then we've got to make sure that every other player in the industry has to meet those standards because you know that's the way that we get a sustainable industry and that each individual owner-operator or small business operator is able to get back to where we used to be 30, 40 years ago where you could actually negotiate reasonable margins. That's really critical for us. Hmm. We'll just throw to a quick break and we'll hear from one of our fantastic sponsors and we'll come back and talk about the system that needs to be put in place to help all this out. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. 
Welcome back. We're with Michael Kane, National Secretary of the Transport Workers Union. We've been talking about the gig economy and the systems that need to be put in place to arrest some of the more dangerous aspects of the transport industry of this, Michael. We're looking around at what's going on and the pressure that's on people to just accept the terms and conditions that are presented by big companies like Amazon, etc. As you said before the break, you go and you tick all the boxes and you say, yes, you're going to do this. It's like all of these end user agreements that we've got with anything. If you don't say yes, well, you don't get to do it. And people, as you say, are wanting to earn an income and put a roof over their head and send the kids to school, etc. What can we do? What is the plan? What are the TWU trying to do to sort this out? Well, we've got a view, we want to be consulting widely about it, but we've got a view that clearly there's a couple of key aspects to the standards we need to put in place. Mm. First is that those that are the originators of freight, whether you call them a client, end user, whether you call them, whatever you call them, they could be a retailer, they could be a grain grower, they could be a port operator. They're the ones that are ultimately squeezing the economic benefit of the work that your listeners do. Yeah. And they've become absolute ruthless economic experts at squeezing every dollar that they can out of that transport function. Yeah. And that has meant the pressures that everyone's feeling as they listen to this program. Yeah. So we've got to have a system which doesn't just talk about, you know, oh, what are the rates? Are they enough? Or what's the hire doing? Is the hire doing the right thing? Well, that's all good and it's necessary to be in the system. But the most important thing is those that are getting the economic benefit, they're going to be held to account. Mm. They're going to be held to account on the sharp practices that they use in their contracts to squeeze money. But also, quite frankly, if we're going to get this right, don't they need to be made to pay enough to those that they engage and be held to account to that? Because otherwise, how's the money going to flow down to the people that are actually doing the work? If there's not enough money from the actual person or entity who's getting the economic benefit flowing down, it doesn't work. So we think the system has to have that as the kind of central point. And of course, if you do that, then it doesn't matter if it's an Aldi or a big port operator or a big gig company, they're going to be in the firing line to make sure that they're paying enough to make a sustainable industry. That's point number one. Point number two, Mike, you know, owner drivers uh, quite proudly have been some of the backbone of our industry and we'd be lost without them in this vast country. We've got to put supports in place for owner drivers, of course, small fleet operators, as against the larger transport companies and as against these big clients. But also we've got to make sure that this new gig tsunami doesn't come and take everything away from us completely. And how's it done that? Well, you've got these gig companies who have essentially misclassified the workers that they engage These workers are not genuine owner drivers like many of your listeners are that have a big rig that have put a big capital input into the business that go out there and negotiate hard, difficult as it is. They're genuine small businesses. Many of these workers are completely dependent on those big gig companies for the work. They're really reliant. So we've got to make sure that there's standards that these gig companies have to apply to that work. Mm. Safety standards, workers' comp standards, rates of pay standards, Otherwise, they're just going to slip underneath the market and they're just going to undercut all of us. So it's really urgent. And the final piece of the puzzle, of course, is you need a system to be able to do those things. Mm. And we say we don't really care where it is, whether it's part of fair work or whether it's an independent thing or whether we don't really care. Mm. What matters is it can do those things. It can hold those clients to account. It can hold the gig behemoths to account so that it can make the job of small businesses better. We can get our margins back up and make the industry more sustainable. So 
we know a lot of that work's been done. The Sterling Quarry's got 10 great dot points about what we should start with, mm. and now we've got the opportunity to do it. Yeah, well, Rod Hannafy and I had a conversation about the Sterling Quarry's recommendations and now the fact the previous government has said, oh, they're very nice, well, think about that. And Rod said that he didn't want to get to the point of being considered a pest, trying to get the government, as it is now, to be more proactive. I don't think that he will be getting to the point of being a pest. I honestly still believe that this is the best opportunity for us to move forward in a positive way in transport. I think that as long as we can make a few of those points known, and Rod's going to have the opportunity to do that at the NRFA conference on the 9th of July, we're going to have Glenn and Carol are going to be there, I think, and a few people from NHVR are going to be there. I think you're going to have some reps there as well, aren't you? Yeah, we are, yeah. But for the fact that it falls on the date of my son's 18th, I'd be there. I was there last time we had a physical one before COVID. Mm. We're sending Richard Olson, who's a New South Wales Queensland Secretary, but also Jack Boutros was sending, who's been doing a bit of work trying to make sure we're feeding in all of this stuff and assisting both the TWU and NRFA in the Senate inquiry process. So we really want to get the dialogue going, Mike, because, you know, now's the time we need to get this done. And I do think it is also important. I know what Rod's saying, but I also equally think that now's the time for us to actually be quite noisy. Mm. We've got to make the community understand how urgent this reform is. Yep. And if all of us make enough noise so the community understands the urgency of this, mm. that makes it easier for the government to act. Because, yep. of course, if they've got the community urging change, then that's what governments want. That's what governments need. Labor Party, any party, the temptation is once you get into power, the spine starts to lose a little bit of that steel. It does. <laughs> and it's up to all of us to make sure that that steel is not lost. And I reckon that's about us making noise, making sure they understand how urgent it is, if necessary, taking a few trucks to Canberra. Mm. Not to protest the government, but to say, this is urgent, guys. Yeah. You made a promise, let's get it done. Yeah, well, it is. And it's funny, you know, I was having a chat with Razorback legend Barry Gripson the other day, yeah. and he said to me that when they did Razorback back in 1979, one of the big things that they wanted was to have a seat at the table and have some say in what was going on. I think that 40-odd years down the track, Barry is going to live long enough to see that that's happened. Yeah, absolutely, and that is the key. I mean... This notion that any one individual or any one group has all the answers, mm. that's never worked ever in any field of our human endeavour. You've got to get everyone together. Everyone's got to put their pen to thing because they've got their different perspectives, their different experience, their different expertise, and they've got to have the standing capacity to do that, Mike. Yep. That is not just a one-off Senate inquiry, valuable as that's been. They've got to have the standing capacity to do that in whatever body is set up to have that input. Otherwise, things will fall off the rails again. I've made the commitment that I'm willing to work with anyone, no matter who they are. We'll work on the things that we can agree on, walk our own paths on the things we can't. But at the end of the day, we've got a hell of a lot more in common than we do apart. We're better together. Oh, here, yeah, yeah. I absolutely agree with that, mate. Absolutely agree. Thanks for coming on the show again, Michael. It's been a great pleasure to have you back, and I'll invite you back anytime you like, mate. Feel free if you've got something you want to talk about. There are so many other things we could talk about today, but I'd like to leave the opportunity open for you to come back. And I'd love to. Let's do that. We've got a lot to do over the next little while, and wouldn't it be good for us to chart through your podcast the progress that we make and look back in a year's time and two years' time and say, yep, we've managed to do it together. That'd be bloody brilliant. Good on you, mate. Thanks for coming out on the road. No worries, Mike. See you, mate. Well, that was Michael Kane, National Secretary of the Transport Workers Union. As he said, 
we've got a hell of a lot of work to do to try and rectify some of the issues in transport. You need to have your say if you want to make a difference. Clearly, the government as exists right now is the best opportunity that we're going to have and have had for a while to make a positive change to road transport. If you don't have your say, then that's on you. A good chance for you to have your say will be to come to the National Road Freighters Association's conference on the 9th of July in Toowoomba. The whole afternoon is basically going to be devoted to question and answer. And some of the decision makers, some of the lawmakers are going to be there. It'd be a great opportunity. Now, if you can't be there yourself, please feel free to put your question into an email and send it to me, mike at ontheroadpodcast.com.au, and I will do my best to make sure those questions get asked and answered. Keep it safe out there, and we'll see you on the road. You got me there, Andy? Yeah, Mike, got you go. Mate, we're coming up to that level crossing we were talking about before. Looks like we're going to be stopping. Roger that. Look at the size of that thing. They tell me they take about two k's to stop. That's like 20 times the length of the MCG. Would want to be playing chicken with that. Yeah, copy that. They can't exactly swerve either, can they? They're stuck to the tracks, mate. <laughs> it's not that hard to wait till it's safe to cross and make sure the road's clear on the other side. Yeah, not like that bloke last week who forgot about the length of his trailer. Yeah, I heard about that one. It's not really funny, though, when you think about it. Poor old train driver. Probably been having nightmares ever since. Yeah, I reckon. We're all in the same boat, really, mate. Everyone just wants to get home safe at the end of the day. Yeah, not wrong on that one. There goes the last carriage. Looks like we're safe to head off now. Thanks, Mike. Long way to go. After you, old mate. This is a message from Queensland Rail reminding us that it's important to stay alert and obey any signs and signals when approaching level crossings to help keep you and everyone else safe. For more information, go to www.qr.com.au. Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie. I listen to On the Road podcasts every week on the Australian Big Rigs Road Show. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there, and in the meantime, take care of you. Growing up in a house full of music with her mother, a professional vocalist and piano player, and her dad, a top guitarist who's performed with John Farnham along with a host of other well-known Aussie bands, our music guest this week was destined for a career herself in music right from the start. At an early age performing in talent quests, her vocal prowess soon had people sitting up and taking notice, and the girl who originally wanted to be a dancer was soon following a very different career path. She performed along the way with blues and soul bands, but her early love for the beauty and honesty of country music was reignited, and she reconnected with her heartland roots and concentrated on expressing herself with honest words and her incredible voice. She's performed with Honey Train and Deep Creek Road, and her breakout first single, Long Way From Lonely, really put her on the map as a wonderful solo artist. No less an authority than Lee Koenigan has prophesied that this artist is destined for huge things in the coming years. Joining us today for a chat about her career and her brand new single is the delightful Hunter Kane. G'day, Hunter. Thanks for joining us on the road. Hey, how you doing, Andy? Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely our pleasure. Now, Hunter, it seems like your destiny was pretty much sealed right from the start, given the musical pedigree of your folks. What was it like growing up in such a musical home? 
perfect for me. Definitely in the blood. Yeah. I was a kid that was just so into music and so into dancing. And my parents just played music 24-7 and it was always loud. So it was an absolute joy. You know, I wasn't the kind of kid sitting there watching telly. Every evening, my dad would pick up the guitar and play Stairway to Heaven. It was always my favourite. Fantastic. And that was my way of going to sleep. There was no reading of books or anything like that. So it was magical. It was wonderful. Yeah. And you quoted her saying that, this is your words, music has such amazing power to it, it can reassure you, understand you, and change you. They're pretty powerful words. Can you explain (laughs) to us your feelings and emotions behind the words? Oh my goodness, music's been my best friend since the very beginning and the number one passion in my life. It's always my go-to, you know? Yeah. It's always ever-changing and expanding and there's different art and different creatives on the scene. Mm. And there's always an experience that they can share and that you can learn from and some wisdom that you can take away from it. Or if you're feeling down, you can put an upbeat song on, it can completely change your day. Yeah. So that's where I come from with it. It's just so powerful. It is. And also in that too, you know, you can be having a wonderful day and hear a really melancholy song and it can bring you down. (laughs) That's true. So there is a tremendous amount of power in music. Yeah. Well, I just love the way you describe it because you've really humanized it. You know, people think of music as being sort of an idea or a concept, but you've made it, it's like a person. It's it's reassuring and understanding and changing. It's a great way to look at it. Thank you. Now, you've also studied music production and sound engineering, so obviously you have a very hands-on role in the production side of your music too. Yeah, I'm all about the production side of things. It's massively important to me. Mm. Um, so I self-produced Long Way From Lonely, which is my debut release with Shane Nicholson, the wonderful Shane Nicholson. What a great song. Yeah, we've spoken with Shane. He's an amazing man. He truly is. Yeah. Like, to this day, I'm still pinching myself that I got to work alongside Shane. Yeah. But this time round on my new track, Mind of Its Own, I actually met with Adrian Hannon from the Song Store. Mm-hmm. And he's worked with the likes of Delta Goodrum, Vanessa Amorosi. He's a multi-instrumentalist, amazing tracking engineer, mix engineer, mastering engineer, producer. Like, he's just incredible. Yeah. I think if you tried to put any more magic in that person musically, he'd probably just explode. Explode, yeah. <laughs> So I met with him and the initial idea was, I'd really like to co-produce on this with you. Mm. It was one of those situations that after like talking with this man, it was like, I don't want to get in the way of this. You know, like that's how I felt. This man is so experienced. I think I just want to roll and see what happens. Yeah. And I can actually just focus on my vocals, focus on my backing vocals, focus on getting the song out into the world. Yeah. So he's just totally brought his A game on this one. It's, it's wonderful. It certainly is. Now, obviously, there's a lot more to you than we can talk about right now. So where can our listeners go to find out more about the Hunter Kane story online? Yeah, sure. Thanks for the opportunity. Your usual suspects in Facebook, Instagram, I'm at Hunter Kane Music. Mm-hmm. And Kane is spelled K-A-I-N-E. And you can find me at my website, HunterKane.com. Right. And the rest of this year, what's it hold in store for you? Well, we're looking at a release later this year around October. So working on that track at the moment, right? putting together a music video, getting the ideas rolling for that. And hopefully early next year, the album might come out. I'm saying might only because we've gone through the last few years and things have just been so rocky. Uh, yeah. You don't know what's around the corner. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But yeah, absolutely, fingers crossed that everything just onwards and upwards from here. For sure. And we wish you the best with that and we look forward to hearing the album when it comes. Thank you. Hunter, thanks so much for sparing us a few minutes to come and play on the road with us today. 
Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. We're going to have a listen to your new single right now. So would you be kind enough to introduce it for us, please? Oh, thank you. Hey, this is Hunter Kane, and this is my brand new single, Mind of Its Own. Cheers, Hunter. Cheers, Andy. Spinning like a ceiling fan, round and round we go again. Here we go again. Stubborn as a kitchen sink, dripping through the night, I think it knows. Yeah, it knows. This beat in my chest is missing with my head, won't let me get all over you yet. It once what it wants, so much it haunts me while I'm sleeping, dreaming. Can't get you out of this bed, craving your touch. Though it ain't good for us, it could care less, I bet. I don't have my best interest at heart, no. My heart's got a mind of its own. Mind of its own. I've begged and tried a thousand times to forget the want in your eyes. The damn those lights keeps me tossing and turning. That kiss gets me cursing your name on my lips. No, my heart can't help it. This is Gordon, your favorite Canadian refugee trucker living in America, where, whilst hauling logs around the far northern reaches of Appalachia, I enjoy the On the Road podcast with Mike and Andy, keeping up with the news and history and everything that's good about trucking and the land down under. What a great show. Thanks a bunch. For all the latest industry news, go to www.bigrigs.com.au. Top of the morning, mate. Got my winter woolies on today. How are you faring with the cold? 
Well, it's a little bit overcast. It's a little bit cold down here. I slept over at Renmark last night. Oh, nice. Yeah, well, it normally is fairly nice over there, but it was a little bit brisk this morning, let me tell you. I bet. Yeah. Bit of frost on the grapes. Bit of frost on the grape. There was a bit of frost on the truck, and there was a bit of frost on the mick as well. I, I didn't mean your grapes, by the way. I was referring to the fruit variety. <laughs> anyway, moving right along. Mate, to kick off the news this week, I heard that the Department of Transport, or whatever it's called these days, yep. had received a report that more than 500 dead crows had been found on the M1 this week. Right. So a veterinary epidemiologist was called in and to everyone's relief announced that it had nothing to do with either COVID or avian flu. Yep. But apparently all the deaths, surprise, surprise, were judged to have been caused by vehicular impacts. Yeah. So through further investigation and analysis, it was found that 98% of the crows had been hit by trucks and 2% had been hit by cars. <laughs> so they hired an ornithological behaviourist Yep. to find out why there was such a disproportionate variance between the truck kills and the car kills. Yep. <laughs> the expert concluded that when crows move in to eat roadkill, there's always one crow who acts as a lookout to warn of impending dangers. Yep. The penny finally dropped for them all when they realised that while all the lookout crows could call out, car, car, loudly, not one of them could pronounce the word truck. <laughs> Oh, no. Moving right along. <laughs> wasn't really worth the wait, was it? Oh, no, I don't think it was. <laughs> Never mind. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Departing on July 22nd and heading for the Northern Rivers area in New South Wales, Need for Feed will be rolling out again with a Christmas in July themed hay run to deliver toys and games to kids affected by the recent floods. Yep, and old mate Grand Cockerel does it again. It's not only for the farmers either, it's the entire families, including the children. Mm. Everyone's been through a lot. It's going to be Christmas in July, 25th of July. They're going to head off, I believe. Farmers registered with Need for Food for Assistance. One of the questions they ask if they have any kids and what their ages are, and they get some toys out there as well. Brilliant. Those wanting to donate items can get hold of Mr Cockrell and his crew. The best way is to contact via the Need for Feed Australia Facebook page or email contact at needforfeed.org that's mm. a great thing you can also donate cash and or fuel or whatever fuel would be a great donation I'm pretty sure Yeah. check out the story on bigrigs.com.au there's a link there to click on so that you can do some donations if you want to wonderful good on them oh just while we're on that mm. if you want to put your truck in to do the work fuel for the trucks along with the meals for the drivers and drinks etc they're all covered by donations so that's fantastic if you've got a truck and a bit of time Andy yep. get hold of old mate Cockrell I'm pretty sure Graham would be happy to hear from you see how much I can load up on the bike Matt yeah why not mm. Now, Mike, work on the final section of Tasmania's Midland Highway Upgrade Project is now underway, stretching from just north of Campbelltown some 20 kilometres to Epping Forest. Yeah, my brother was whinging to me about this last night, actually, because he's got a driver over Every time you talk about your brother, you reckon he's whinging about something? Well, I don't know about whinging. Well, he wasn't really. Whinging's probably not quite right. He was just saying that it was a long stretch, a very narrow, very uncomfortable road at the moment where they've reduced the lane sizes to do the work, etc. Right. And he basically said to me, he said, looks like what they're going to do is they've widened the road so they can sort of narrow it all up with cheese cutters later on. He's a little bit of a cynic. He's a bit like me. <laughs> mm. uh, the final section of work comes with a $53.9 million price tag. 37.8 million from the federal government and 16.1 from the state government. 
Fulton Hogan are going to be doing the construction, so we should put a big sign up there that said Fulton Hogan did this. If it all falls apart, we can blame them. Yeah. And the package of works for other projects, uh, Oatlands and Ross, uh, include widening, extending sealed shoulders, etc. The Campbelltown North project is one of the three projects on their 51.8-kilometre stretch, and it's all part of a 10-year program of upgrades, according to Tasmanian Infrastructure and Transport Minister Michael Ferguson. Mm. The roads down there could use some improvement. Absolutely. I wish they'd stop using that cheese cutter wire stuff. It might be good at arresting cars and trucks and things, but it doesn't do kind things to motorcyclists if you hit it. Terrible, terrible for bikes. Uh, I hope they take the thought in and put some bloody rest areas in along the way because some blokes might need a power nap occasionally. Yes, very important. Mm. Mike, in a bid to reduce administrative complexity, I like that, that sounds very important, doesn't it? It does. In a bid to reduce administrative complexity, the NHVR has released two discussion papers looking at possible changes to the vehicle approval documents issued under the PBS scheme. Yeah, so where things are at the moment, when you go and get your PBS vehicle approved, it's approved for you. Hmm. So I go and get my truck approved for PBS, hmm. but if I want to sell that equipment, then it's got to go through the whole approval process over again. Yep. And it's just bureaucratic red tape. So they're going to try and remove the operator names from vehicle approvals, and that simplifies the process of transferring the vehicles. And they're going to have an aim of removing the spec table. Hmm. So what that is to reduce the workload for the PBS certifiers the manufacturers, I suppose, will now say this is suitable for PBS and the onus will be on them, I expect. Yeah. Well, they're just discussion papers at the moment. They've been sent out to the stakeholders. I love that word, stakeholders. I know you do. But with the NHBR seeking comment on the proposed changes by July 5, so you haven't got very long. If you've got to have something to say about it, probably will get on the NHBR website and have a look. Or... You can come to the NRFA conference and there'll be representatives from the NHBR at the conference and you can talk to them yourself. You can shirt front them. You can shirt front them if you wanted to. I wouldn't recommend it. But No, don't take that back. I wasn't serious, folks. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. Operator in Sydney, mate, has feared that this may be his last month of trading with his monthly diesel costs running some $25,000 higher than it was at the start of the year. Yeah, who knew, hey? Yeah. I've just driven through a little town called Ogan, and the diesel price out here is 233 cents a litre. That is with the 20-odd cents of excise removed. Yep. So really what we should be seeing out here is $2.53 a litre. Mm. That's what it would be if they hadn't removed the excise. There are going to be a lot of companies feeling the pain come the end of the financial year in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah. I have predicted, and I hope I'm wrong, but I have predicted, along with several others, that there will be an implosion. I think there's a good chance you might be right. We've got a perfect storm happening. Mm. We've had all the financial pressure all the way through COVID. We've had the change of rules and regulations. We've had increased cost, and it's not just fuel. It's tyres, it's insurance, it's registrations, it's everything. And it's right across the board. And there are people that have been sailing very close to the wind for a long time. Mm. Obviously, now the fuel tax credit thing isn't going to be there to use as a safety net to mop up some of those little incidentals. Unfortunately, I think some people are about to learn some very hard lessons. Yeah. I've said time and time and time again, we're having the wrong conversation. We should be talking about rates. Yep. That's what we should be talking about. Yep. Guys should be getting paid enough. Why should we have to be the poor cousins at the end of the string all the time being told what we're carting for? We should be strong enough to say, this is what we're doing it for, and then being strong enough to say, no, that's not enough if it's not. Yeah, it's the basis of everything, isn't it? Well, it is. 
and like it or not, this is a position that we've had for a long time. I've come to the conclusion, kicking and screaming, <laughs> that we do really need the RSRT or something very like it because we don't seem to get these cost of living increases that everyone else seems to get. Yep. And everyone wants their freight card as cheaply as possible. And unfortunately, you get guys like this who've had this massive smash in the face with the increase of $25,000 in his fuel bill for the month. Hmm. I would expect that that would be the majority of his margin just gone, if not all of it, just gone. Up in smoke. Trucking is an important business. Hmm. But you've got to make money. It's a business. You don't do it for charity. You don't do it for fun. You certainly don't do it for love. Mm. And people have to come to terms with the fact that it's, as we've said several times, one or two cents a kilo on bananas, you know, a couple of cents on the packet of wheat bix, a couple of cents on a can of Coke, mm. and that's enough. It's got to happen. It does. It's got to happen. Finally, mate, I think the headline of this next news piece pretty much sums up the seriousness of the situation. Simply put, it says, fines and fees go up as transport sector profits decline. Over to you. Yeah, look, I was going to go off on this. I really was. I kind of thought you would. Look, mate, I I just can't. Mm. To me, I read through this story, and it's only a fairly short story, you know, but it's basically saying permit fees go up by $2, work dollar is going to cost another dollar. There are fines going up. It's just, why? Yeah. (laughs) Why? Yeah. We're not only getting screwed by everyone outside the industry, the NHBR want to screw us as well. And if you don't think I'm going to ask Sal Petrosito about this, when I run into him at the NRFA conference, I'll be walking up to him, I'll be asking him about this, and I'll be recording his answer. More shirt fronting. But there you go, <laughs> Sal, be warned. Yes. Because to me, this is just ridiculous. Mm. Old mate Warren Clark, the CEO of NatRoad, has said that the CPO increases and fines don't make sense. Well, that's the first sensible thing Nat Road has said for quite a while. Mm. And they must be proportionate to the offence. And that's certainly not the case with minor administrative issues. He's absolutely right. Their own members are reported working on a profit margin of about 2.5% and cost have risen sharply since then. Mm. So Nat Road have advocated for introduction of warning system for HVNL administrative offences, and I agree with that. Why are we being fined and losing demerit points for things that are administrative issues? It doesn't make any sense at all. And I'm going to leave it there, mate, because if I go on about this anymore, I will no doubt get extremely annoyed. Mm. And we don't want that. Right. Now, did you want to do your Facebook bit? Yeah, I did have a Facebook bit I was going to do, but I can't find it. Okay. So I'm not going to do that. Hmm. I do have some emails from listeners that I got during the week talking about various different bits and pieces. Mm. A couple of them asked me to read them out for the Something to Talk About segment. So I've got about, I don't know, half a dozen Something to Talk About. It's all written for me. So Brilliant. I'll be bringing those out and uh, wheeling them out. On other news, I'm getting out of the little truck when I get back to Sydney. I'm getting into a big nine hour again. Wonderful. Watch out. You got the moth on the bonnet? Oh, I'm going to have to source one. Right. I'm trying to find, if anyone can tell me where it is, a kangaroo. Oh, I can tell you where heaps of them are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want a real one, mate. Oh, okay. <laughs> i got a beautiful big chrome Jaguar off the front of a 1930s Jag or something, if you want that. Have you? Mm. That'd be interesting. That'd look pretty schmick, wouldn't it? It would. The big leaping cat. Big leaping cat? Mm. Nothing like a bit of flying. I'll certainly edit that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Thought for the week. Hit me. Too many people spend money they don't really have to buy things they really don't need just to impress people they really don't like. That is 100% true. Ain't it? It is 100% true. All right. 
All right, buddy. Stay warm. Stay safe. You too, my friend. I'll catch up with you later on. See you in the soup. On the Road News is brought to you by Big Rigs, Australia's national road transport newspaper. Hey, honey, have you gained some weight in your rear end? The dress you wear reminds me of my old girlfriend. And where'd you get those shoes? I think they're pretty lame. Would you stop talking cause I'm trying to watch the game? If you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, these are the things you don't say to your wife. I planned a hunting trip next week on your birthday. I didn't ask you, but I knew it'd be okay. Go make some dinner while I watch this fishing show. I taped it over our old wedding video. If you're a man who's done that, a long and happy life, there's all the pursuits to you. Solo. Okay. Your cooking is okay, but not like mother makes. The diamond in the ring I bought you is a fake. Your eyes look puffy, dear. Are you feeling ill? Happy anniversary, I bought you a treadmill. If <laughs> you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, that too. These are the things you don't say to You're a man who doesn't want to get killed with a knife. These are the things you don't say to supposed to have it all together and when they ask how you're doing just smile and tell them never better we just wanted to stop by for a moment and say g'day how are you no i mean how are you really physical and mental health is a significant issue for the australian road transport and logistics industries Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. Oh, am I the only one who says I'm fine? Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. Hey, I'm fine, but I'm not. So let the truth be told. Time for something to talk about. Now, I like to avoid where I can cutting up particular organisations or having too much to say about the point of view of the likes of the ATA, etc. However, I've read an article written by David Smith, and it's difficult to read through it as a driver through the key points that David talks about in this story and not wonder who it is he's advocating for. I don't think he's advocating for drivers. 
You talk about the ATA charter. Now, this is something that Trevor Warner and I discussed in detail, and we gave it a bit of a thumbs up because we think overall it's a good thing. But I don't know so much that it's a good thing for drivers. That remains to be seen. The ATA is suggesting that the government should just adopt their charter and be done with it, and I disagree with that. There needs to be more discussion. The ATA doesn't represent everyone. certainly doesn't represent me. I agree with some of the things that they say, and I thoroughly disagree with others. And I'll give you some examples. And so just taking from David Smith's own hand, he's written that we need to set a more ambitious road safety target, a 25% reduction in crashes involving trucks per year. How are we going to do that, David? What exactly needs to happen to reduce accidents by that much every year? I, I can't hear you, David. I'm sorry. What are we going to do? We've already got some of the toughest regulations for drivers. We've got some of the largest penalties for drivers. We've got a driver shortage. We've got more pressure. We talk about a chain of responsibility. But as Rod Hanafy said, it's the driver that swings at the end of the chain. It's always been the case. The driver is the focus. We're the low-hanging fruit. We're the one that gets it in the neck every time. From the bullshit fines to the increased pressure from regulations. And the stresses that are caused by the member groups of the ATA to make us do unreasonable things so that they can increase their bottom line. Tell me I'm wrong. I'm not wrong. Talks about the Australian government funding and operating major freight routes. I'm assuming he means the federal government overtaking other governments and looking after the main freight routes right around the country. Okay, someone's got to do it. And if the federal government did it, maybe we'd have a more continuous approach. Maybe we would get the national standard that everyone talks about it. I'm not going to hold my breath. He says that there should be national road service level standards to guide road spending, rest area improvement, safety, including enabling the use of modern truck combinations that are safer and reduce the number of trucks on the road. He's talking about PBS. What he's talking about is getting truck drivers to cart more freight for probably not much more money. We've had that discussion before. Let's talk about wage theft, David. Let's talk about blokes working hours for free unloading and loading trailers. Let's talk about difficulties to access the already difficult to access services. Getting trucks into rest areas. Bigger trucks on the road doesn't answer the questions. It doesn't solve the problem. It does deal with the increasing freight task. It does in some way mitigate the driver shortage because you don't need as many drivers if the trucks are bigger. But who does it support? It doesn't support the drivers, does it? Fully expensing for trucks and trailers to drive a sustained increase in the use of newer, safer, more sustainable trucks. I don't think that supports the driver either, David. The Australian Transport Safety Bureau conducting no-blame safety investigations of truck crashes where there are lessons to be learned. Well, I'd say there are lessons to be learned from every truck crash, and they shouldn't be no-blame. Whoever's responsible should be held responsible, whether it's the freight forwarder, whether it's the road, whether it's the road manager, whether it's the driver. Whoever's responsible should be held responsible in part of the chain, but once again, it's the driver, the low-hanging fruit. They're the one that get it in the neck every time. And he's talking about a maximum of a 100 kilometre an hour speed limit everywhere in Australia. Um, okay, if you want to do 100 kilometres an hour all over the place, that's fine. Trucks are limited to 100 kilometres an hour anyway, David. What difference does it make? In fact, on the East Coast, your PBS vehicles, your road trains, your 53-foot trailers that you like for coals and woolies and all that sort of stuff, they're only allowed to do 90. So it's just another statement that's pointless and meaningless. Now, this is the good one. Mandatory medicals for all heavy vehicle drivers and fit-for-purpose medical standards. We've spent our lives sitting in trucks behind the wheel, moving the freight that keeps the country going. 
By the time you get into your late 50s, you've developed chronic health conditions. It's getting harder to pass a medical. And how many of these people that are overweight or whatever, is that actually causing the problems or is that just something to look at? Something over there to divert from everything else? If your medical conditions are under control, that should be between you and your doctor. I don't advocate for people who shouldn't be driving due to medical issues driving. I'm not advocating for that at all. There are lots of reasons you can just say people shouldn't drive. I don't know that that helps the situation. Not when you've got a driver shortage. Not when the drivers that are over 50 are the most experienced drivers in the fleet. We need to be pragmatic and look at these things from a reasonable point of view. The ATA doesn't represent me. They don't represent drivers. They represent their members. And we need to think about that when we listen to what they say. Keep it safe. We'll see you on the road. You heard the latest single from Hunter Kane earlier in the show. And to close out this week's podcast, here's Hunter with Aussie music legend Shane Nicholson and the breakout song that got her career off to a flying start. It's called Long Way From Lonely. the show for another week thanks for coming along for the ride on the road is proudly brought to you by nti australia's leading transport and logistics insurer visit the website at nti.com.au and queensland rail committed to improving safety through engineering innovation and education for more information go to www.qr.com.au be sure to join us again next week when mike says oh i know what it was and he says That'd be nice and rewarding. And our guest says... Oh, wow! (laughs) That's rad. Until then, play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. Bye-bye. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. Let your eyes lay me down Let the